Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in career development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and glad to help you on your journey towards senior leadership in the charitable world. Thanks for listening. I know your time is valuable, and I'm glad to help you. If you are a current nonprofit leader, or perhaps you hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would do me a favor, share this episode with just one other person so we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, I had another fantastic conversation in this episode with Jim Warren, who's the executive director of the Carolina Raptor Center. And his youthful energy might suggest he's a relative newcomer to the nonprofit field, but in fact, he brings 40 years of wisdom to share with us in this conversation. And share lots of wisdom is exactly what he did. You know, Jim and I discussed why he got into nonprofit leadership and specifically what he did to build his leadership skills and how he's taken advantage of learning opportunities throughout his journey and the wisdom of mentors along the way. Of course, you won't be surprised to hear that he still employs these skills even four decades later. Jim has great advice about balancing your passion for the nonprofit cause that brought you to the field, but also how you must effectively manage the business that is, in fact, nonprofit. And so that's something that he, of course, helps balance himself and will give you ideas to help you do the same. Lots to unpack here, so don't forget to check out the show notes. This is episode number 113. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources mentioned, some great book recommendations from Jim, as well as more information on him and the great work he's doing at the Carolina Raptor Center. In fact, you need to check out the fabulous Quest Center that's just opening and really is a signature project uh, and something that Jim is justifiably proud Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. We're on all the social media platforms, particularly LinkedIn, and make sure you're on our email list. Just go to the bottom of the homepage. You'll see a link that says free resources. Fill your email in there, and you won't miss anything, including episodes like this of the podcast. Also, if you want to talk about your nonprofit leadership, schedule a 15-minute no-obligation call with me. I'd be happy to talk about you your nonprofit and its strategic plan, its fundraising activity, or maybe just what you want to do next on your journey. We've got some great programs coming up this fall, including our unique mastermind program that I'd be happy to share with you and see if you might be a good fit. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jim Warren. Jim, thank you for joining me on the path. Well, Patton, thank you for having me. Uh, you know, it's always good to catch up with old friends and share our experiences. So I'm just honored and privileged to be a part of this. Well, I think the honor and privilege is for our listeners, Jim. You have a fantastic career journey. We're going to talk about it. I know you've got a lot to share with our listeners who are pondering nonprofit leadership or like you are in nonprofit leadership trying to get better. And I know that's a spirit you share and you know, of all the great things you've done, Jim, let me ask you this to start. Is there something you're particularly proud of in the work you've done as a nonprofit leader that maybe would give our listeners something to think about and, frankly, want to learn more about you? That's a great question. So I'm going to say 
first off, just doing it for 40 years, right? I'm extremely proud that I've been able to do this work for this long and, and be able to make an impact in the community. But I would say probably my biggest physical accomplishment is I'm sitting in it, the, the new Quest facility that actually wow. will open uh, to the public on July 9th. This is a, a legacy that literally we've been working on for over 15 years. And I think when you put that much time in anything, uh, it, it becomes part of who you are. It's part of your DNA. And so I would think without a doubt, Quest is one of the things I'm most proud of. Well, let me ask you about that, Jim. For those that may not be familiar with the Raptors Center and Quest in particular, what is it? Well, Quest is a joint partnership uh, with Mecklenburg County Park and Recreation. And again, we started talking about this back in 2006. Uh, and I've been at the Raptors Center all of about three months. And Quest will encompass a brand new uh, state-of-the-art 13,000 square foot plus visitor and interpretive center. Uh, and immediately adjacent to it will be the new Raptor public campus. So I think if you've been to the current Raptor Center, you've seen our birds on display, you've seen our programs and our activities. Well, here we'll have 40 enclosures with birds from around the world. We'll have our new Duke Energy Amphitheater. We'll have a new wellness and urgent care facility for our resident birds. Program space, destination space, rentals, you name it, is all going to be part of this new Quest Endeavor. Um, and we're extremely excited to open this place after years of work and, and being part of the pandemic. So it's close and it is. It's a, a project that's dear to my heart that I'm glad it's finally going to come to fruition. You have every right to be proud. And I know folks anywhere in the East Coast uh, should be thinking about their next road trip to Charlotte and Huntersville, I guess, to be exact where you are. But let me ask you one more question, Jim, about the world in which you operate. It is kind of a unique sector, right? A subsector of, of the nature oriented organizations like yours. How big is that universe for folks that are anywhere else in the country? Are, are you part of a network of other Raptor centers, so to speak? Well, it's sort of an informal network. That's one of the things that I think would be a nice Maybe a post-Quest project is to really create more of a network. And there's a lot of other facilities out there like us. There's the Association of Nature Center Administrators. Of course, we're part of North Carolina Science Network, which is the local statewide organization. Uh, we're part of Earthshare North Carolina. But when you really look at raptor centers and aviator, aviaries like us, we're one of the few. That's uh, what we, I thought. Yeah, well, we're the biggest raptor hospital in the united states by patients admitted which a lot of folks here in our community visitors to the center don't know uh so there's a lot of stuff going on that the public's not aware of but we're very proud to be one of a handful doing the work that we do it's fantastic and i know this conversation is going to lead a lot of people to check out the work you're doing of course and that of the raptor center and quest in particular We'll get more into that, but let me ask you a question I've asked a lot of my very busy nonprofit leader guests. Jim, how do you manage all the stuff that you're doing as a leader that maybe would help someone else think, and how am I going to manage everything involved in nonprofit leadership? Uh, it's another great question, and if you ask that to the staff, they may tell you not so well. <laughs> uh, you know, but jokingly aside, I, I have to have systems. Um, you know, my wife, Pam, is one that's created in me a set of lists. And so you can't see it. But behind me on my wall are a number of dry erase boards with everything from project detail, the overall scope of what's going on. Uh, I have my trusty notebook that I'm constantly writing notes and lists. 
and calendar. I mean, if it's not on my Outlook calendar, it does not exist in my yes, life. Sir. Uh, personal items, professional. And I even book things out. I, I learned early on, don't just leave wide open gaps. You know, oh, I've got a meeting with Patton from noon to one. Well, what am I doing before? What I'm doing after? If I'm returning emails, if I'm doing phone calls, if I'm just doing paperwork, I put it on the calendar. I block out part of my day to make sure. And then within that calendar um, invite or that calendar schedule, I put what I'm going to do within that time frame. I'm calling so-and-so or I'm emailing so-and-so or I'm going to check on this project. I have to be very deliberate, uh, particularly in today's technology. You know, you get a ping. Well, I check my phone. Uh, Oh, there's an email. So I need to check that. I have to stay on task or I will go in so many different directions. uh, It's not even funny. Um, And you have to be organized. You have to work a list every day or you're gone, right? And as you well know, as an ED, we're managing, so we're managing people, we're managing projects, we've got donors, we have boards, we've got all these various things going on in our heads. Um, you've got to keep them all framed in some way or you'll never get your job done. You'd go home at the end of the day frazzled and can't do that. No, oh, you want to get up and come to work the next day. Exactly right. How do you prioritize the list, Jim? I'm sure the list grows every day. Do you have kind of rituals that, is it an end of the day ritual? Is it a beginning of the day ritual, end of the week ritual? How do you prioritize all this stuff? I'd say check to all of the above. I look at what I was supposed to try to do today. So at the end of the day, I'll look at Tuesday and I go, oh, I didn't return so-and-so's call. Uh, Part of it, to be honest with you, has to be the nature of the beast. If there's a board member, I better get back to them very quickly. That's a boss, right? right? We yep. as the EDs, we got to report to our boss. If it's a donor, and I don't care about the amount, that's where I want to make sure that people understand this. I'm not going to call a huge donor faster than I would a donor that's making a moderate or a smaller gift. It's when did that donor reach out to me? So it's got to be about how soon it came in. Um, what project has to be done immediately. And that's part of where you have to put some thought to it is do your prioritization. If I don't do this today, what is going to be the consequence for tomorrow? If it's not a big deal, put it off for a day or so, but get it out there. If I don't do something today that's going to have dire uh, consequences to the organization or myself, I better do it now um, and do it quick. And so I try to really say what's going to happen if I don't do this immediately. Love that analysis. And you're right. That, that to me is a good ritual to kind of put all of your to-do list through that question and help you prioritize accordingly. Uh, well, Jim, that's among the many uh, words of wisdom I know that you have for our listeners uh, over. You're too young for me to talk about 40 years ago when you started this game. Uh, so I, I won't even date you further in terms of when it started, but you and I both know some people come into this nonprofit game early in their career. You came literally during college, maybe tell us why and how you got into nonprofit work. Uh, well, I started when I was in college um, at the great Appalachian State University. Uh, you know, Patton, I'm not going to do any disparaging marks against <laughs> your great alma mater, Chapel Hill, <laughs> but we used to say up there in Boone, who needs a hill when you have a mountain? So I, I was leaving that. Um, but no, I started. Um, you know, I was coming out of college or in school. I had two degrees. I had a bachelor of science in recreation. I had a bachelor of science in business management. Originally, I wanted to work for the National Park Service. I wanted to be a park ranger. Interesting. Time out in the woods. And, you know, some things were happening politically in 1980. 
there were some folks that were running the Department of Interior and there was no jobs. And so I stayed in school an extra year, finished up the business degree um, and just happened to need an internship for the summer uh, and went to work for the YMCA as a camp counselor. Right. I'd gone to camp when I was a kid, but hadn't worked in camp. So loved it. I mean, literally fell in love. It's the hardest work I've ever done in my life being a day camp counselor, but loved it. I mean, just loved it. And so couldn't wait to go back the next summer and then the next summer uh, and was getting ready to try to graduate and get out of school. Had like a half a semester worth of credits left. And the Y offered me an internship or actually that offered me a job and I needed to get an internship or I couldn't graduate. So I went in and talked to the professors and, and the faculty and the dean and, and they approved me doing an internship my senior year, my final semester as a senior and went to work for the YMCA of Greater Charlotte at the Harris branch and was there for only a couple months. And they offered me the program director position. I wasn't even a college graduate yet. Wow. A number of months, uh, which showed me the value of an internship. You know, my career path was designed through an internship. It's a great way if you're out there and you're listening to this and you haven't chosen that career, or if you're an organization and you're looking, bring in interns, bring them in. They're unbelievable. Yeah, people say, well, that's a lot of work. Well, it is a lot of work, but you're going to find folks that are going to be passionate about what you do. You can get them started on their careers. Um, interns, it's a great way to sort of put your toe into that pond of, of nonprofit work to see if it's yes. something you want to try to do. But, you know, I, I started, went to work at the Harris branch in August of 1981. So coming up on my fourth, 40th anniversary um, at starting nonprofit work and worked for the YMCA. I worked for uh, Mecklenburg County Park and Recreation. I worked for Charlotte Outdoor Center, worked for some of the local hospitals, worked for the course, uh, been here at the Raptor Center now for 15 plus years. I can't believe that. Wow. 10 years as the executive director. So time truly does fly <laughs> when you're having fun to use a, use a Raptor, a, you know, avian pun, but not patent. It's, it's what you well know, because you've been engaged with this work through Special Olympics and fundraising at UNC Wilmington and at Queens and now doing your own gig. Um, you know, once you get in it, it's just, you're in it. Uh, it's just so, and it's, it's so fulfilling um, it's service. And I, I got the service gene from my parents. They were both extremely service oriented individuals. I don't think I had a chance to be honest with you. I was not going to pursue a career, even though I started as an accounting major. That's what my dad wanted me to be. Wow. And just said, I can't do this. I love the numbers. And that's one of the things that benefits me now. So again, those of you that are pursuing this uh, as a potential career, take all the business classes you can because you're going to need them. You're going to need marketing. You're going to need to read a financial statement. You're going to need to be able to discuss intelligently with donors and supporters. And so you need that business because basically I'm running a business. We're Indeed. a nonprofit, but we're a business. I like the joke that just because we're not for profit doesn't mean we're for loss. <laughs> so yes. It's all about being a business. Um, it's just our, our stakeholders are different. And you know that. Well put. And I'm delighted that you kind of look at the advantages on both sides of the internship equation. The organization benefits, of course, the individual does. I, I had a guest a couple episodes ago, Jim Righteous Kit, talented young man who said exactly the same thing. Nonprofits that are proactive offering internships like that 
are often going to identify talented young people. If I'm an executive director listening now, Jim, did where do I go for interns? How did you set up your internship program? It, was it conversations with the local universities or were there anything else that you've done to establish the great internship program you have now? Well, and I think, first of all, you've got to know what you want your intern to do, right? Okay. It's just like hiring someone. Create the job description. And don't just bring interns in because you may consider them as free labor or cheap labor, right? Mm-hmm. You can get a college student for nothing. What are you going to have them do? Good point. Uh, give them a project. It needs to be a learning experience. That intern needs to walk away with something that made a difference. So it's they're, they're technically still in class, right? As an intern, I had to write reports. I had to meet with my advisor. I had to share with what I was learning. Uh, and so you need to have a really good idea of what you want this internship to be all about. Then you sort of figure out, well, where would I find the talent? Just like yep. you're going to recruit, where are you going to find them? Now, you're not going to find them on Indeed or some of the other platforms or, or LinkedIn. You could with LinkedIn, uh, but I would start really having relationships with your universities. If you're an executive director and you don't have a good relationship with institutions of higher learning and your local school system, um, you're not doing your job. You're missing out. You. Yep. Uh, you are missing out. And so, of course, I went back to Appalachian immediately. Um We've got great relationships with NC State, of course, because of that school there. We've got great relationships with all of the institutions here in our home city. I mean, we literally have a board member uh, at Queens, at Johnson C. Smith, and at UNC Charlotte. And so they're really helpful. And we go national. We have interns that come to the Raptor Center that are coming to us from schools all over the United States because of the uniqueness of what we offer. Pat and you and I were, were talking earlier I mean, where can a college student work on or be around a bald eagle? Yes. That opportunities are not out there in a big way. And so we provide those to to students, particularly if you're looking at going into wildlife management or environmental education or or one of the veterinary sciences. And so find out what you want and then go out and get it. And it's just reputation. It's about people know, hey, go to the Raptors. We're not posting things in the student union or putting stuff out there all the time it's word of mouth we have a waiting list people want to come here because they understand we give them a quality experience and they leave with something that looks good on their resume or their cv but also makes them marketable Um, and they've learned a hard skill while they're here with us and again from our side we've hired interns i can't tell you how many interns have come through our program that have gone on to be part-time or full-time or, you know, department heads here at the Raptor Center. They started with us when they were in college. Such, such good advice. If our listeners aren't being thoughtful about this and intentional about this, because I think most nonprofits, you have, of course, a wonderfully unique element to your mission. Um, but a lot of nonprofits can find unique elements that would be attractive to interns. And for all the reasons you shared, what a wonderful pipeline and community building exercise that, you're such a good illustration of Jim. So I'm glad that you lifted that up. Uh, as, as we go back to now your journey from intern to employee, let's talk about that. You know, you spent what, 10 years or so with the Y. How did that trajectory go? Uh, when did you know you might want to actually move into senior leadership? And let's talk about those kind of, you know, years as you grew into nonprofit leadership. Well, I think some of it happens just organically. I, I, I would like to say that there was a plan that said, okay, I'm going to hold this position for X amount of years, and then I'm going to go up into another. Um, you know, 
the first position I ever held was just literally uh, fortuitous and happenstance. I'd been at Harris for just a couple months. The current director that was there, the fitness director, left to go to another YMCA. Uh, Andy Calhoun and all of his brilliance decided that he was going to split that job and offered me the program side. So I basically had youth sports and some others. And again, I was still an intern. So because of an, a, an open position, I was able to fill that. And then as that program grew, we realized that sports was just such a big part of it. So I became the sports director um, and did that for a number of years. And then an opportunity came manifest itself for me to go into the outdoor education field, which is what my, my really my passion was early on. So I did that for a number of years, working for Charlotte Outdoor Adventure Center. Um, but I had just taking classes and, and knew enough about aquatics to be dangerous. And so when a aquatics <laughs> director position came up at the Y, I went back, right? And so I went back to work for the YMCA and was the associate aquatics director and outdoor pool manager at the Harris Y for, for several years and continued to grow and took class. I think the biggest thing is you have to want to always grow in your job, Pat, and you know that. I mean, you were always looking at, can I take this class? Okay, so I'm a lifeguard. Well, now how do I get to be a lifeguard instructor? How do I get to be an LGIT? I'm training lifeguards. Okay, I don't want to just be a program person. I need to want to know what makes a pool tick. So I became a certified pool operator. I learned all the chemicals and the infrastructure and that poor piece of it. I learned how to teach swimming. Um, and so you start gaining expertise and knowledge. And then when the county was opening the new Mecklenburg County Aquatic Center downtown, I applied for that position just sort of as a lark, and I got it uh, because of my background, not just in aquatics, but my background in sports management, working with swim teams, helping uh, put on big events like Ultra Swim or some of the big swim meets that would happen there. I knew how to run events and sports. And so, again, just all these little pieces came about, but you're constantly looking, you know, I'm. I'm very happy here. So board, if you're listening to this, don't freak out. But you always, you need to be looking for what's the next step in your life. Right? Yes, what is indeed. that next piece? And what would it take? Um, you know, I think early on in my career, I knew that I loved the hands-on program. I still do. Right. I'm out there working with volunteers uh, or I've got a chance to talk to someone about a particular bird or I'm doing something with the staff. That's extremely, extremely satisfying. But I always knew that I wanted to be a leader. I think we know that, right? It's, it's sort of this drive. Like, I want more. Um, and so that's where the business piece came up. That's where the management of the business side, that's how do you motivate people to see the vision? We can have the vision, but how do we motivate others to help us realize that vision? Um, I always wanted to do that. I liked coaching little kids when I was at an early age. Well, coaching's leading right? You're not out on the field doing the playing with them. You're coaching them. You're getting them ready, getting them prepared. But at the end of the day, they're out playing the game, no matter what game that is, swimming or, or you know, like with Special Olympics. I coached Special Olympics swimming, which you're well aware of, or, or Special Olympics soccer. You've got to do everything you can, but when they're participating, competing, you as a coach have to stand back and hope you've done well enough to get them ready and be prepared. Um, it's like running a nonprofit. I can't work on every bird that comes in here. I can't see every visitor. I can't work with every volunteer. My job is to provide the resources to the folks that truly do the good work every day. 
Uh, and I enjoy doing that. Now I like still getting my hands dirty, trust yeah. me. Uh, but it's all about how do we continue to grow? What is that growth? What am I going to do now to prepare me for whatever the next step in my future is? I love your illustration of as a lifeguard, you were already thinking about pool management. And to me, that's a beautiful illustration of whatever my role is now, you had the foresight to think about, all right, but what else is involved here at the pool? You know, because I think a lot of us, we stay at the lifeguard, so to speak, level. And you were thinking ahead. And I wonder, to me, that's a great piece of advice for a listener thinking, not just your current role, but what are all the kind of elements that surround that role, which seems to me, Jim, help prepare you for leadership. What well, did, and the other part too, Pat, is don't be scared to ask questions and find yeah. a mentor. I think mentors are absolutely crucial to people moving forward. I had some of the best mentors that anyone could ever want in their career. Andy Calhoun, again, I go back to Andy, um, was the youth director at the Central Branch, which is now the Dowd Branch, way before he ever became the CEO of one of the largest uh, YMCA organizations in the country. And I knew Andy early on. So I'd ask him questions. How do you work with the board? I'd go to board meetings, right? As a a junior staff member, how do you work with the board? How are you doing the budget? What's our brand uh, awareness that we're doing? How do you want to? I'd go to meetings with him. I'd just shadow him. I'd ask him lots of questions. Same thing when I was doing the lifeguarding. I'd ask the aquatics director lots of questions. Why are we doing it this way? What happens this way? Um, And still to this day, there's mentors. Mentors that are younger than me. There's no age on a mentor, right? They don't have to be some seasoned person. It's someone that does something better than you or in a different way that you want to learn from. Uh, And I could go off the top. I'm not going to embarrass anyone or or leave anybody out, but there's mentors on our board. There's mentors in this field that are much younger than I am in my career. But particularly when technology or doing things differently, you know, in pandemic, we had to shift to a virtual platform. Well, who was already doing it well? Who could I learn from? Who could I shadow and be a part of it? One, one mentor extremely early on, and this sets the tone for maybe our, our, our next piece of what we want to talk about, is Harry Brace was the CEO of the, of the YMCA Greater Charlotte at one point. And he set me down as a mentor, and we were talking about money and how you had to have funds and do this. You know, I think a lot of people in, the, in early on in the nonprofit world think that money just reigns in. Where does it come from? Everyone feels good about this cause, and they give money to it. And here he sat, sat down and said, Jim, two things I want you to remember. No mission, no money. So if you don't have a cause that the public can rally behind, they're not going to support it. Yep. And the other part is no money, no mission. You can't generate the donations or the earned income or whatever it is to drive it forward. You're not going to be a success as a nonprofit anyway. So you have to really balance those two things to be able to have a nonprofit that's going to make a continued impact, such as the YMCA of Greater Charlotte, such as the Raptor Center. I mean, we've been around since the early 70s. And I think it's just a testament that we've been able to show the community that we are of a value, that we're of relevance, um, and that we're very good stewards of the resources that they give us. Well put. And again, great illustration of the use and value of mentors. I love how you think about it, I guess, topically, in other words, because you're right. I think a lot of younger professionals think, well, I've got to find the seasoned, you know, veteran, 
but I love your different take on that, that expertise can come in all shapes and sizes, right? In all forms. And that's a great way to build a network. Yeah. Well, what do you want to learn? Who says people you want to learn from? Who's doing it better? Yes. Uh, you know, and again, there's folks out there right now that um, I look to every day. I pick up the phone and say, how are you doing this? Let me run this by you. What yes. Do you think about this. How would you do something if you were in my situation? And then the other part is give credit as credit's due. Yeah. Um, if the idea was somebody else's and people said, man, that's a great idea. Well, I wish I came up with it. <laughs> so-and-so really did. Yeah. You need to be able to be accountable for that and, and let folks. But again, if, if I quit asking questions now, I might as well just retire. Again, board, if you're listening, that's not what I won't quote you on that, right? Yeah. No, but again, it's not about age. It's not about gender. Yes, yes, yes. It's about who knows something better than me. And that's a lot of people at Pat, you well know. <laughs> so, so there's never any lack of sources out there. It's just, you know, who, and the other part is don't take yourself too seriously. I think yes. that's part of this conversation. If you can't be self-effacing, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you know you're in the wrong line of work. No matter what line of work you're in, you just need to be. Now, not to say that I don't have my stressors, right. things that I freak out about, but if I start taking myself too seriously, and if this if the raptor becomes the Jim Warren Center, then that's when I've lost it. Yeah, it's time to make a change. Then, right, but, and well. Jim, you had, you know, increasing responsibilities as you built your leadership journey. Um, at, at, you know, some point, obviously, you're like, hey, maybe I would like to be in charge. And so I wonder if you could go back to those times when maybe it was before you became the ED at the Raptor Center, I think in, what, 2011. Um, what did you think you needed to, to, to build or have to be ready for that job? And then once you got in the job, was it like, or did anything surprise you? You mentioned, for example, that business acumen, right? And and so I wonder, was that among the headlines back before you first became an ED, or were there other things you were thinking about at the time? Oh man, make me go back and relive history. So let me kind of start with how I even got here in the first place. So back in 2005, um, and to be honest with you, and it's going to bring tears in my eyes as you can see this, my mother passed away in uh, November of 05. Right. And at the point, I was working for the YMCA of Upper Palmetto, so the Rock Hill YMCA, the chief operating officer and executive director of one of their main branches, uh, and had leadership and had management. And I was just ready for a move. Right? I think the death of my mother just sort of shook me up. Uh, I was in my late 40s, and I was just at a point in my life that I just said, you know, I, I need to change, but I don't know what that change is going to be. That's the scary part, right? Yep. That's where you don't have this progression that says, oh, I'm starting here in my career, and after a couple of years, I'm going to elevate, elevate, elevate. At some point, you just have to you get there and you go, what is next? I don't know. And so the first thing I did was I had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with Pam. I mean, you got to share this with your partner, right? Yep. She's my partner in all things. And I think it scared her. Because, you know, I got a good livelihood. I was making good money for the YMCA, even though it's a nonprofit. You can make good money in this field. You don't have to be good reminder all the time. It's good reminder. There. Yeah, sure. So go into it. But you're not going to get rich. But you're going to have a satisfying life. And I was just, I couldn't do it anymore. 
And so I took a, I took a leave, kind of left the Y, and just by happenstance was having conversation and coffee with Alan Barnhart, who was the, the executive director at the Raptor Center at that time, old friend, YMCA colleague, had run Allenby's, the, you know, the outfitting store in Charlotte, and been very successful with that. And we were just chatting, and he goes, well, it's amazing that we're chatting because I may have an opportunity. Hmm. Uh, so well, let's let's talk about that. And the board had asked Alan to be more outward facing, right? To get more out in the community, to do more things from a relationship building. And he needed someone to manage the internal. And that had been my focus for years as I was an operations guy, right? I was that person that knew how things worked behind the scenes. I wasn't going out and raising money or working with boards. I'd done it, but I wasn't that that wasn't my focus. Um and so Alan took a chance and I took a chance and said, okay, let's do it. So in January of 06, I started actually Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, which I think is, is eventful in its own right. Um, I started work at the Carolina Raptor Center. And I told Alan, Alan, I'm going to give you about two years. Okay? <laughs> and honestly, this All is right. sort of a stopgap for me. See how it works for you. See how it works for me. And we'll, we'll move forward. Um, and Alan left after about that two, two and a half year time frame to go do something else at Catawba Science Center. And the board came to me at that point and said, Jim, would you consider it? And I wasn't ready yet, Pat. I could do the job. Right. I knew the capability. I could do the physical part of it. I just wasn't ready mentally. I didn't know if I wanted to stay here. Interesting. Know? And so I told the board, no, I appreciate the offer, but I'm yep. not ready. I'll serve as an interim. I'll do that. And so during the, the hiring process, I served as the interim and they hired a new executive director and she came on board and she was here for about like two years, give or take. And she left uh, and the board came back to me after <laughs> the interim and said, well, what do you think now? And I said, tell you what, if you want me, I'll take the job. And they what did. was different? What was different two years later, Jim? The passion for the organization. Yeah. You know, the things that we had started. Um, we'd started this process of, of a much greater partnership with Mecklenburg County Park and Recreation, had a, just an unbelievable team. We had hired a, our veterinarian on staff. We were going from just being a small rehab center that was doing some education to really being, you know, internationally renowned. People knew about us now. We were doing some great work. Um, and I wanted to see if we could take it further. I wanted to really see what would happen. Um, you know, and that was literally 10 years ago, um, you know, the spring. And so looking back, I'm, there's no regrets. Awesome. I, I'm just, my 15 plus years here have been remarkable in so many different ways. I know for me, more than the organization, I got so much more out of this than the organization got out of me. Um, and now it's trying to figure out what's the next. And we get quest open All right. all campus open. So what happens next? That's the big question. What, what's the next big thing here for the Raptors? How do you determine that strategically? I mean, I'm sure that kind of is playing in your mind all the time. What is next? But I wonder just literally for a nonprofit leader like you thinking, what is the next kind of frontier like? How do you even go about that? Deliberately, I'll say that you have to really be deliberate in your thought process, involve others, uh, which we did. Um, one of your Former colleagues and good friend Josh Jacobson helped us uh, develop a strategic business plan a couple of years ago. Uh, COVID hit, and that all sort of got back burnered for the short term. Right. But we're bringing it back up. 
We just did a strategic plan framework for our board and staff, and we're now starting to put sort of the flesh on the bones of that to look at four years. You know, we had a strategic plan before, but you have to really sit down and say, looking back in 2025, what do we want to have accomplished? What do we want to say we've gained or we've done? You know, what, what are those metrics? What is the impact in, in all areas of our organization, whether it's community engagement, environmental education, the bird care side, the facility side? What, what is it that we want to say we've done? Uh, we've involved small groups. We've involved the full board. We're involving the full staff. We did stakeholder meetings with um, corporate supporters, with individual donors, with competitors, other groups like us. You know, what are you doing? We've, we've gone all over the country looking and learning and seeing what folks do. Uh, I joke that to me, uh, copying and plagiarism is one of the highest forms of uh, compliment you can give anybody. <laughs> it's flattering, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. You know, not, we'll, we'll do more than just change the name or put a new logo on there. Um, but we, we really, I reach out to other facilities, you know, other, other groups uh, around the country and just say, what are you thinking? What are you doing? What are you seeing? Um, and then you have to put it into some framework. And then the framework just can't be on a binder or a folder or on a server or OneDrive or wherever it is. You have to pull it up. And so we have to, we've created within our board a reporting process that will be reported out at each board meeting. Where are we? And if you're not doing anything, be fine. Be honest with that, right? Just say, yeah. we haven't done anything on that yet. Okay, well, let's figure out why. Is it not worth it? Is it something we just said we should do, but we really need to do? Do we not have the right resources? Why are we not moving this initiative forward? Um, and that's what it took to open this building. I mean, I'm, seriously, we started talking about doing this facility, this new campus with what Mecklenburg County back in April of 2006, wow. plus years later. And it took a long time to come to fruition, but it was step after step after step and meeting those milestones and saying, what's coming next? What's the next piece of the process? And sometimes you just have to be patient, right? Uh, I joke that it took Pam three years before she said yes to marrying me. So, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> You've demonstrated patience for sure. You have to, you know, and again, I think that's in my DNA. My mother was an extremely patient person. My father, not so much, but my mother, yes. And you just have to know um, if it's worth doing, it's going to take time and it's going to take energy and effort. So do it. Nothing good comes in the short term, I don't think. Um, I'm not for uh, instant gratification. I'm, I like to see things. I like to play the long game. And sometimes that's the other thing is how do you get others to be a part of that long game? Yeah. Some people want it done today, particularly in this, oh, I can email you now. I can text you. Why are you not getting back to me? Instant gratification, right? Absolutely. You know, 24-hour news cycle, everything's happening at such a quick clip. Sometimes you just have to put that noise behind you and just keep your eye on the vision and don't let things sway you from the vision. And there's going to, we all know, there's those things that are going to try to keep us from doing what we need to do. But if it's important, we'll do what it takes to make it happen. Well, and speaking of the patience you've exemplified, and I think for great strategic reward, um, how do you stay motivated, Jim? We talk, you and I both, to colleagues that are burning out, burned out, um, you know, just not feeling the energy. So after 40 years, how do you stay motivated? 
Well, one, you need to recognize when you need help, right? When do you need a break? Uh, I applaud those that can take sabbaticals. Um, and, you know, I've looked at sabbaticals and looked at them and, and just never taken one. But I think if you can take that sabbatical, if you can take that leave if you need it, but you got to recognize the signs. You, you've got to know when it's just, it, it's done. Um, and I think some of it's, we just get tired, right? I'm fatigued. I, you know, I, I come into work some days, I'm not quite fired up, but yet I'm ready to still continue to do the work. Um, I really hope it never hate get to the point where I just don't want to be here at all. And I think I would recognize some of the signs before. Do you still enjoy being around the people you work with? Does the mission still excite you? Uh, if I walked out and went down to the current center and there was a group of kids and they were sitting there in front of one of our enclosures, whether it's a great horned owl or bald eagle or you know, a crowned crane, I'm going to get fired up telling these youngsters about that bird. I get animated, right? Let me tell you about this bird. How cool it is. Got to, you know, I get just, you can feel the energy at the point that does not do it anymore. Then I've got to say, Ooh, there's symptoms. Now what do you do? Um, you know, if, I, if I'm injured or I'm hurt physically, I go to the doctor. If I'm injured or hurt mentally or physically, you know, psychologically from a burnout, there's things I have to do. I have to call folks like you, walk through the process, talk to a mentor, um, you know, kind of figure out, do I need to take a break? Do I need to give up some of what I'm doing? Let me focus on the fun part and then come back to the, to the other part. But you got to recognize it um, and be ready. But after 40 years, and you can see I changed roles, right? I was with the YMCA for a long time. I love being wet. Yes. Uh, do I want to go back and be wet again and work around pools and everything? And maybe not. But still, to this day, I like doing it. And I was at the, our neighborhood swim club the other day with, with Pam. I still find myself doing the lifeguard thing. It's weird. I'm still scanning the water. Like, <laughs> Once a lifeguard, always a lifeguard. Exactly. You're always sort of looking at the beach saying that could be a bad situation, but what am I going to do about it? Um, but I think you've got to, again, recognize that there's a problem and then work the solution, work the resolution. Uh, is it something that I need to take personal time? I think that's where PTO um, is extremely, extremely important. Yep. Take time off. Um, and I'm my worst. I'm the worst, right? I think EDs are the worst. And at the Raptor Center, we get so much PTO at the start of the year, actually. On July 1, we've got a new bank of hours. That's how we do. We don't accrue. We, everybody starts with, with their own pot of a PTO. I don't hope my wife doesn't listen to this. <laughs> at the end of the physical year, I was looking at June 30th. Well, hell, I had 90 hours left. Like, yeah. crap, man. That's two and a half weeks of time that I didn't have to be at work. That I could have gotten paid for. So so do as I say, not as I do, huh, Jim? Absolutely. And I yell at the <laughs> staff. I start telling them, take time off. Take a half day. Don't have to take a week or 10 days. Just take time. Don't have to go anywhere. Stay home and read a book. Go work in the yard. Go do something. But you got to get away. When you start being on the site at all times, you start resent being there. That was one of the lessons I learned early on with the Y. And in organizations where you can play and work at the same place, you have to make a distinction. Because when I'd get off work at the Y, whether it was teaching an aerobics class or doing pool stuff or sports, I would stay at the Y and work out, right? I'd swim yeah. live, or I'd go to the fitness center, or I would do this or do that. 
you're never off the clock because even in the weight room, someone would come up and ask me a question. So I started running. And so when I would literally leave the Y and go run, because nobody could bother me on a run. Right. But I think you've got to make that distinction. So when I'm leaving the Y, I'm excuse me, leaving the Raptor Center, you know, I'd love to stay here and walk the trail and see the birds all the time. Then I'd start saying, man, just always there. So I've got to make that break between personal time and work time. Um, I do it. It's great advice. And that the distinction that I think you have to be thoughtful and intentional about, and clearly you have. And um, I guess it leads to another question about when hiring talent and you've got some great systems in place through your internships, which has obviously proven successful. I wonder, assuming someone has the requisite, you know, skills and experience, the job description requirements, but are there certain things or kind of nuances you look for when you're hiring people to work in your organization? Understand the mission and have a passion for it. Um, you know, if you're looking at a resume or CV, all things equal, you know, X amount of requirement for education, previous experience, certifications, all of that. Um, when you start talking to the person, what's the thing that sets the person apart? What's that one? Is it in the cover letter? Um, you know, I can't tell you how many I've received that, that basically – they almost didn't know who we were. They just knew it was something to do with birds. Or they didn't do their homework. They didn't go on our website. But the ones that really intrigued me are the ones that said, you know, you're Mr. Warren. I'm applying for this position. I'll tell you how much I love the Raptor Center. I've been following it for years. I went there when I was in the third grade at Myers Park Traditional School or something yep. like that. Like, oh, okay. And then you start talking to them. And, and then you find out that they also have a love for the environment or the next step. Hey, I want to be a veterinarian. I want to do this. This is the perfect place for me to get that skill. Other people say, well, then you're just setting yourself up for someone to leave. Well, absolutely. You know, I'm not doing my job as a leader if I'm not letting the people that are working with the people that work with me be prepared for the next step. Now, hopefully that step would be here at the Raptor Center. But if not, they need to go somewhere else, right? I need to help them. I don't want people to be squeamish about coming to me and say, hey, Jim, I'm thinking about leaving, going to get another job. I don't want people to leave. Don't get me wrong, staff, that are listening to this. But I need to be helping you set up for success, whether well it's put. here or somewhere else. And I think I need to be looking at that person coming in, you know, not, oh, I'm going to hire this person. They're going to be with us for 10 years. No, I'm going to hire them. They're going to do a great job. And I'm going to prepare them for the next step, right, to succeed their boss or to go to a bigger institution or go back to school and get a master's. I think that's what we have to be looking at. So passion, absolutely. Commitment to the work. Do they have an understanding of what nonprofit work really is? I mean, do they get it? Um, and that's the thing. Skills, you can teach someone to work with a bird. You, you can teach someone the treatment part. You can teach someone to be an educator or to work with our systems. It's that attitude, that demeanor, that personality that people bring with them. That's what I'm looking for. Love that. And love how you lift up, you know, as an organization, if you help people advance, yes, you may lose some, but wow, you're an attractive place to work if people begin to see that. So, right. I guess it pays off literally as well as, is you know, the right thing to do. And so I excited to hear because I do think some executive directors are nervous about quote professional development because well, if I help them too much, they're going to leave me. And that's just the wrong way to look at it. 
Would you agree? No, I mean, I, yeah, I just got, you may have gotten the email today from the North Carolina Center for Nonprofits. They put out the, all the opportunities coming up. Well, I just forwarded that to the whole staff. Wow. And have some people take me up on it, right? I want to take <laughs> thing on the, you know, legal compliance. I want to take this on this old grant writing. I want to take this program. Well, why not? They need to be doing better. And again, if I'm not grooming or nurturing people, I'm not doing my job as a leader. I'm not helping them move forward. Um, but again, if we, we don't have enough time, we'd be here for another two hours. I could go down the list and say, this person's now at this organization, or this person was the ED at the, you know, the, the Raptor Center in Anchorage. All those folks started here their, with their careers and now they have done better than I have. Um, yeah. But we give them that chance. You know, we give them the fertile ground that they can grow in. And if they grow faster or bigger, it's great. Good for I them. Yeah. Right. And, and you're modest about it, but it, it's it's a tribute to you and your leadership that you should be proud of. The alumni of your staff are now doing great things throughout multiple nonprofits. And that's really cool. And well, Jim, it, it, it's a good kind of fitting uh, summary, I suppose, to all that you've learned. And I guess as you ponder, which I know is an impossible question, 40 years of experience, um, is there other final advice you know, you'd offer someone who says, all right, Jim, I'm thinking about nonprofit leadership. What would you tell them? It's going to be the hardest thing you ever will do. Uh, it's the most satisfying thing. Service. Uh, and I think too often, you know, years ago, the, the phrase servant leader was, was coined. Uh, what exactly does that mean? Well, that means right. someone that's willing to do the hard work and get down in the trenches. I think one thing that I learned early on from my parents is don't ever ask anyone to do anything that I haven't already done myself or would be willing to. Right. Um, and so when there's times that we're out there doing grunt work, I'm doing grunt work. There's times that I need to do other things, but you're going to be exhausted. You know, I'm still got enough of energy to keep going. But at the end of the day, you're exhausted, but it's a great exhausting because I can look back and go, how many thousands of students have we touched the lives of? How many thousands of birds have we treated? How many hundreds of thousands of visitors have come here? Uh, and you're right. How many Raptor Center alum have gone on to bigger and greater things? That's making an impact, you know, making that impact, leaving a career or a job or at the end of the day saying, this world is a better place because of the work that we just did. I think that's the, all the reason in the world. Um, you know, I, I don't have any regrets about not making tons of money. I make when I'm in retirement after a few years, we <laughs> have a follow up with that patent. Yeah, exactly. But, but no, I think it's, it's gotta be the service that drives you better by other people. It, Jim, you're a wonderful embodiment of the the title of this episode. You've balanced the business, but frankly, uh, have such a passion for the work. And that's translated to many, many of the folks you've worked with. Um, you're such a good example, too, of lifelong learning. You know, the, the, I, I sense you've never stopped learning. You, you reference resources and mentors along the way. So an impossible question, maybe, but is there, is there a single book or maybe two I'll give you a bonus, but is there one that's been meaningful to you that you might recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I'm going to date myself. Uh, but, <laughs> that's you know, okay. Well, Tom Peters, uh, In Search of Excellence. Yes, yes, yes. 
came out early on in my career and just blew my mind, particularly some of the, you know, the, the, the grocery store up north and some of the Disney stuff. What does it take? I mean, just how do you continue to strive for excellence? I mean, you know, I, I think that every day, how do I want to make this place better? You know, good to great and some of the others, but yeah. The other book uh, written, co-authored by a fellow uh, mountaineer uh, by Stephen Dubner is Freakonomics. If you haven't read Freakonomics or Super Freakonomics or listen to the Freakonomics podcast, it's great because it lets you see the world in a different way. How is the economy working in a way you may not understand? And so, but the other part is, is so much resources out there now digitally. You know, the North Carolina Center for Nonprofits is putting out great stuff. PMA, should I say any more? Pat McGowan Associates. <laughs> Just unbelievable resources. Um, find what fits. You know, there's you know, board source and all these other pieces that are out there. You can be inundated. Just find what you like um, and, and kind of read through it, see what's going on. There's just so much stuff out there. But yeah, if you if you've come into this career later on, go back and read uh, in search of excellence. It still holds true. Yeah, almost 40 years ago too. I think it came out in what, 81 or 82. So, yeah, early 80s, yeah, right. Great, great book to instill how to always strive for something. And I think sometimes people, you always heard the term sweat the details. And then some people say, well, don't sweat the details. It's the big stuff matters. Yeah, the big stuff does, but you need to sweat the details. From us is how do we make every experience for a visitor the best they could absolutely have? I'm constantly asking folks, how do we make it better? You know, is it parking? Is it stuff we have in our snack bar? Is it our online ticketing? Is it the way the bird trails laid out? How do we treat the birds better? Is it new equipment for our staff? Is it better training? You know, how does it better relationship for our board? I ask our board, we're in the middle of board orientation right now for our new board that, that just came on as of July 1. My first question is what, not what they're going to do for us, but what are we going to do for them? Nice. What's the expectation that a board member has of service to the Raptor Center? Um, and all of these things, we just need to constantly be looking. So, yeah, again, it's the sweating the details. It's how do I make everything better for every person? And again, that's un, you can't do it, of course. It's one of these visions that, but you can strive to do it, right? Every day, you just do a little bit more at the end of the day. So, yeah, the Raptor Center is a better place because what we did today. The community is a better place because of what the Raptor Center did today. That's all we can hope for. Jim's Goldmine, a host of good advice and words of wisdom. I'm grateful for that. You've given our listeners lots to think about and to ponder. And again, thank you for sharing your journey and your wisdom and your inspiration. And I guess for those listening, I'm sure they're asking, all right, where do I find out more about this guy? And so where, where do they find out more about you and the great work you're doing at the Raptor Center? Well, Pat, let me first thank you for, for including me this. I've listened to some of your um, previous podcasts and some of the illustrious guests you've had, and I hope I didn't diminish from them by me being on here too much. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Uh, you have to laugh. So if you want to know more about the Raptor Center, um, carolinaraptorcenter.org. Um, is on our face is our website and same with Facebook. Um, if you go there, there's an about, um, top tap tab, and you can click on it and learn more about me. I'm on LinkedIn. 
so you can learn more about that. And again, I'm willing to share. I think that's the one thing. Uh, if people want to just call me up, email me, text me, come out for a visit. Uh, a lot of times I'll tell you more about what not to do and lessons learned. Than what <laughs> that's to do. okay. But I think it is okay. And, and I've, I've spent a lot of years learning um, and I'm, I want to spend more years telling people how to be better at what they do. So no, but thank you, Pat. And it's been, been a pleasure to catch up with an old friend and we won't say how long we've known each other, but we've, we've spent a long time in the nonprofit community in North Carolina and proud Carolinians, whether you went to, but I will say, got to be proud, <laughs> go, go heels because that's where my son graduated. So, yeah. in, indeed. I won't have to edit this out now if you were going to disparage my Tar Heel legacy, but yeah, with your son coming through, uh, yeah. but great institutions, great advice. And Jim, thank you again for joining me on the path. My pleasure. And everybody have a great day. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jim as much as I did. Came away with some energy and some practical ideas to guide your professional journey and perhaps enhance your organizational strategy and certainly maintain the motivation that brought you to nonprofit leadership in the first place. Don't forget to check out the show notes. They are available on our website, patentmcdowell.com. You can find out more about Jim, the Raptor Center, and all of its unique programming and some of the leadership lessons Jim himself shared in this episode. As always, thank you for sharing this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see links to Apple and all of the other primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that have been most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.